Welcome everybody to the green team of the Legendarium podcast. Today we're doing book two of The Faithful and the Fallen, Valor, spelled with an O-U, the real way. And with me today, I have Solution. Hey everybody. And Eridandis. Hey, are we supposed to be talking in British accents then? We could give it a try. Um, Yeti Beats. We're still alive, uh, unlike many of the characters in the series. And uh, I guess to start off with, let's just give our non-spoiler thoughts. I'll start with Solution, Book 2, Valor. Non-spoiler thoughts. Did it go up? Did it go down? Did it feel like a Book 2? What how what are your first instant reactions? I think this was a great book. This was really fun. Um it was different than the first one, obviously, because well it's book two, but also just like the format of how the plot was structured and my expectations. And I really enjoyed my time with it. I mean the plot was a little bit predictable at the end, but that's fine. <laughs> well, at the end of the first book, it's pretty much Gwyn shaking up the the ball of characters and everyone kind of scatters. And now we have that prototypical, not going to spoilers, but everyone's kind of in flux. Yeah. The, the it, wheel of time method where, Oh, they got to converge. Okay. Now bah, 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 send them all over the place and see right. what happens. Yeah. Yeah. So that's like a comfort, you know, kind of comfort fantasy thing. That's pretty easily digestible and you know what you're getting. And yeah, we're used to it. Era. Um, what about you? You're the first one to finish. So I'm going to assume that meant, Overall positive, but how was your experience in his second overall book ever? I genuinely liked the book. Um, it was different than the first book. More, I hate using the word because I feel like it gets overused. But it was grittier. Like it was, it was more brutal. More there was more combat, more fighting, more death, more more of all that. I'm probably the wrong person to ask because I'm usually a big fan of first books over second books. So I think. For me, the book suffers some of the second book-itis, where he's trying to clarify some things or trying to set up the pieces for later on. So I think I felt some of the seams in the books a little bit more, kind of like the setups being being done. Having said that, I really enjoyed the book. I thought it was great. I really enjoyed it. And there was one character in particular that I felt like he could just write an entire series just on that one character. So, uh, so I enjoyed it overall. Yeah, and I think I said last episode, uh, you know, he he's very good at bringing in characters that you just, in passing, notice in the first book, and then they're now POVs, and now, or maybe you've just heard about, and now they play significant roles. And um, I thought that was kind of just a cool aspect that I'm not, you know, that's why I compared it to Song of Ice and Fire, because that kind of happens, but this one felt uh, a little quicker to that and like era said there's characters who are minor that we did know about but now are just literally like honestly co you know co-anchoring the book exactly no and i'm glad you mentioned song of ice and fire because i didn't see it so much in the first book but in this book i definitely felt that that comparison you're making to a song of ice and fire where he's trying to make his characters complicated right where you know they're not you're a good person and you're forced into bad situations. So you do bad things or you're a bad person, but you're not like, you know, but you have some good qualities to you. So there's a lot of that that's going on, but it's more, it's 
a more difficult ship to land on this book than would be in in a Song of Ice and Fire because here, on one side, you have an actual devil trying to take over and basically kill everybody. You have an absent god on the other who is supposed to be the good guy. So it's like you have to pick sides on in a war of ultimate good and evil with people who are supposedly gray. It's it. That to me was part of where I had some issues in the book. It's like, I mean, he's definitely basing this off, and Era, I think, has read, uh, maybe Saul, you have, more older books, definitely than me. But like I'm saying from like 80s, the 80s, that's typical fantasy where everything was kind of white and black. And I think he's trying to still make a white and black world um, fantasy that he loved growing up, but make it more complex. And it is... It is seemingly a little difficult, I think. I think I think it's still enjoyable. But my biggest thing with that, when he's trying to do that in my reread, was that his characters, in doing that, um, many times come off as imbeciles. And we'll talk <laughs> about it in the spoiler section. But yeah. I think that's a dangerous um, line he's, he's kind of straddling, where they are complex, but also at a certain point, you're like, this guy's an idiot. Like, you should be able to... See There's one guy in particular who I think is like the biggest, like, I mean, he's got a big L on his forehead. He's just the, oh, whatever. We'll get to it when we get to spoilers, though. Yes. But when you're trying to make something complex, I'm, you know, it's, you're almost doing it a disservice when, you know, if the readers start thinking that. And I'm not, I'm not saying I always feel that way, but I can, I did <laughs> at times. But I think readers, if anyone else is reading along with us or have read it already, definitely said that about a few characters where they're like, this person is dumb. Like, you know what I mean? Did well, you- and you know what? And, and that may be Gwen's intention because like, so for example, like, you know, the, no, like from the last book, Corbin, he's a clever guy. He's not like super bright or like incredibly bookish or whatever. Right. So he doesn't get any brighter in this book. He does get more experience. He gets older and more experienced. Right. So yeah, he's still the same on that front. Still the, right. So, I mean, like, so, that's okay, but like, so maybe Gwen actually intended it because there's one character in particular I'm thinking of. He was pretty much not bright in the first book, and he continued to be tellingly unsmart in the second book. And it's like <laughs> maybe, maybe Gwen just intended him to be just he's a, just that's that guy, that's him. Just you know, just look. He's we all have a group good. of friends. He's there to look good, flex, and not be smart. I mean, what do you want? Me we to all think? have you know? that guy in a group of friends. I do. Yeah. Well, usually there's a couple of them. We, that's just, they're just in your life. Okay. So now we're reading about so, one. So we're all looking at each other. We're trying to figure out which one of us is that guy. Yeah. Guess what? We're all <laughs> that one. <laughs> all of us. We all think we're not, and we are. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. Exactly. No, it's not. Yeah. I guess. I mean, you, we'll get into it. But I, okay. Yeah. We'll get, we'll into save it. that for the spoiler time. <laughs> I think but, we wrapped but, up, uh, Something that something I will say that I did like, and, and you alluded to, you you alluded to this would kind of happen. I liked. We got to see more of the world. We saw the giants, and we saw kind of more of that. Which, that's not spoiling to say like you're gonna see more of that, which was very enjoyable. I really really liked it. I got to see you got to see some glimpses of some of the other societies besides the ones in the Banished Lands. And I like that look into it. And I do like, you did mention this, and I'm glad that, that it did happen, that 
he expanded the universe of of POVs. So, but and we'll, we'll, I guess we can get. I don't know whether we should get into it now or not. I liked and I didn't like continuation of the short chapters. The short chapters were very effective towards the end, but like in the middle, when you're he's kind of in the middle part of the story, and we'll get to when we get to the character. It's like you should have. I felt like there was a part of the story that you should have dwelled with that one character for a little bit longer, but instead you would get like five, six pages, and then you'd be off to look into other characters for like three or four chapters before you got back yeah. to them. Yeah, I, I definitely think he did. He pulled it off with those end chapters or the end ha- part of the book, but it is, and I don't, I didn't do enough research into this, but you know, it's, it's a four book series. And I wonder though, if that kind of, I wonder where his head was at when writing this book with the chapters and pacing um, in, in the long run, the the series as a whole, did this start out as a trilogy and he had to adjust those chapters and be like, Oh, well never, you know what I mean? So that, that might've put, uh, been into play or maybe, you know, maybe he just wasn't perfect. I agree. I know. I think I know what section uh, of the book you're talking about that could have. And just in general, I just felt like there were times where a chapter really got going and he kind of relied a little too heavily on the, not, it's not so much a cliffhanger, but um, just, it's like that TV show mentality where you have to leave it a commercial break on something. Mm -hmm. And um, you know, but it didn't totally uh, hurt the book for me, but it it did get, I did kind of see what he was doing and I'm like, you know, I wish we'd just, it's yeah. like, I want it. Give it to me. Come on. Give me the book. Exactly. Give me what I want to see. Yeah. All right. I, well, hold on. Oh, good. Okay. Just one last thing. No. All right. No, I thought the writing was tighter this time. Uh, definitely. Like, I, I'm glad you said the first book was his actual first book because the writing quality, to me, took a jump. Like, the characters had some good lines in this book, like some really good lines. And I'm like, wow. The, you could tell, like, there's a, a quality improvement. Definitely. That's it. Yeah, I highlighted some quotes. We'll get there. All right. Let's get into the spoilers. Let's get into the meat. Let's keep this episode on for two hours. <laughs> <laughs> I'll do a quick, um, it's not really a recap, but I just want to, I mean, this book essentially takes place minutes after the end of Malice. You know, he goes straight into it. There's no time gap, anything. So I'm going to just kind of say where all of our friends are at in the story. So Corbin and the gang. They're on the run, and they decide to go to Halion's father's kingdom. Halion is apparently a bastard of a king. Uh, they go there, and they end up uh, essentially getting bested by Veridus's, um the wall. What is it? The wall he has. Wall. Yeah, the shield. The Roman wall. legion. Yeah. Yes, the Roman legion. And that takes, you know, Corbin and half of his friends decide to go save his sister, and the other half stay with Halion and Camelon and try to protect Donna. And that's kind of, again, I'm not going beat by beat of what happened in this book but that's kind of where they were going through the non-cliffhanger uh, version yeah <laughs> yeah it's a, very um uh, mckin and his sword brother ogle uh kind of recoup from the what happened with jail and uh you know castell being murdered and they decide to make an oath to warn uh essentially castell's aunt that you know jail's coming for the throne and in doing so he makes an oath to protect uh the aunt's son, the rightful heir, and fails at that, and then gets captured by Lycos. Uh, Jail has Lycos come save him, which I have problems with, but we'll bring that up. And uh, essentially, McKin, we get a slave storyline, slave and a pit fighter. And that essentially is kind of his 
storyline until the end of the book, like halfway through. Uh, Nathair and Calidus. Uh, essentially, they're hanging out after beating Dunkerig or, or defeating um, yeah, Brennan. They One big development, they find out who Corbin is, right? Mm-hmm. Is, well, or Calidus does. Yeah. He really is. Nathair thinks he's uh, the bad guy. Uh, they help Rin defeat Owain. We have a cool battle sequence there. And um, they go and essentially get that big kettle from the giants so they can let the Kadashim in. It's a cool and, and, and they bring the bad guys in, and they realize he has to realize at the end that he actually is the bad guy. I we don't, don't know, see. I feel, we, I feel, we don't have a discussion about it, but you kind of think. I kind of think he realizes he's the bad guy at the end. It, no it's not. It's not a big shock there, right? <laughs> I think he's more of like, I don't know, is this really the best idea? And he's going to be like, Ah, probably not. We're probably okay. We're going to do things right from now on. I feel like that's what he's going to do. Uh-huh, in his yeah. in his head, I feel like he's going to be yeah. like, I'm good. Like, nope. We did a little nope. bit of misstep. Oh, okay, that the there is uh, out of him and his blood brother, he is the stupid one. I know, but I think he's so stupid that he's not gonna realize nope. it. Oh no, the there's the there, we'll, we'll, we'll get to it. Okay, I'm sorry. All right, we'll save it. Sorry. Continue to recap. We've already yeah, we were running him. I'm sorry, Chet. <laughs> no, no. I'm sorry. I almost called you chess I'm So sorry. We're used <laughs> no, to doing this no. to him. <laughs> Um, I got these are the minor ones. So Veritas goes around doing bad deeds for Nathair and essentially is just falling in love with Kerwin. I mean, is his deal and um, not not realizing what's in front of him and <laughs> what he's doing. Um, a new carrot POV we have Fideli, um, Aquilus's uh, wife and Nathair's mom. She tries to stop pit fighting essentially and um, fails because Lycos has a magical item that um, makes her do as he says, which is. Um, you know, unsettling. And then we also meet Tuckle, Gar's dad, and the hundred, the Jihar, who uh, are hiding out and waiting for the moment to protect uh, Corbin. So that was a cool infusion. They go and find Corbin and save him. And then uh, I guess we could bring up, uh, we meet Coraline, who is Halion's sister. Um, she's one of Wraith's giant fighters and is Corbin's love, love interest and also very close with Connell. <gasps> That's a big surprise. What? That's shocking. What? And she joins the crew and helps uh, Corbin and stuff. So and she, can she fight? doesn't like men. Oh my God. What? Yeah, the love. Yeah. Oh, oh. <laughs> it's a, we'll it's save a little heavy Yeah. It's a little heavy handed. Yeah. Not my strongest, not my favorite part of Gwyn's uh, stories, the love interest. Anyway, so that's where we're at. We're going to go by character, char- by character, POVs, and kind of go through the story. And I, f- I feel like there's no other way to start other than with Corbin and Nathair because they're the yin and the yang, um, the bright star, and the, well, they both think they're the bright star. But let's talk there. And the first question I want to ask you guys, and you guys already touched on it, and I'm glad you already kind of dig deep in it, and we can go to Corbin too. Do you feel bad for Nathair? Why would I <laughs> feel bad for him? Yeah. So, all right, this, so this this is a guy, if I just try to put my head into his head, this is a guy who thinks he's doing everything right. He just had a bad day, okay? He had a bad day. Some people got, extra people got murdered. He's used to murdering people. But it's not murdering. It's righteously killing his enemies. Maybe things got a little worse today. I think he's going to pick him... He's pick up his bootstraps. He's going to have a good day tomorrow. And I think that's what's going to happen in the next book because there's no way people tricked him into thinking he's the he's the black sun. No, he's the bright star. 
that's what I think Mathair is thinking right now. Mm. Yeah. Uh, so Era, I, I'm not saying throughout the whole book, but at the end of the book, when he's at that cauldron and he has a that face, just dumbfounded face, you did, did you feel bad for him? Did I feel bad for him? Yep. No. Okay, he's thinking. Right. So, so do I feel bad for him? The answer is no, but it's it's because I never had a connection or sympathy to Nathera in the first place. Like I never thought. If, for example, if this had been Corbin, who we'd formed a connection to and had some, like, oh, I want to see this guy succeed, and then you see him, oh my goodness, I'm actually the Black Stone, not the Bright Star. Yes, I would have felt bad for somebody like that. I never had that connection with Nathera because Nathera had always been too prideful, too manipulative, had killed his dad already in the first book. You know, was already... Allegedly. Yeah. Allegedly. Allegedly. Yeah. Like okay. some random person like walked in and like you know, whatever. So um <laughs> he, he was always an ends justify the means kind of guy. So I mean, so at the end of the day, do I feel bad for him? No. He got he faced somebody who was better at the game than he was. And he got he's been playing people the entire book and he didn't realize he was getting played. And I think that's what happened at the end of the second book. So, do I feel bad for him? No, but I think that's more because of who he was as a person. Yeah, that's, I mean, it's the right answer. I was just, I thought it was interesting because in the moment when they, he kind of, you know, the view, Corbin looks at Nathair staring at the cauldron, like really in shock. It's just a shock face. I did feel empathy. I felt like, oh man, you know, and, like you said, he has been manipulated. I'm not saying everything he did wasn't awful and terrible. And it, it snapped back where I was like, actually, you know, he's still responsible for his actions. And I, I feel more bad for Corbin's father and, you know, his Nathair's father in reality, when you think about it. But in that moment, I was surprised that I was like, yeah, you know, this is just a young dude who got manipulated by literally one of Athra's main followers when you think about it. So actually, when you say that, like, it made me feel no, like very little, if any, empathy for Nathair. But at that moment, it gave me a glimmer of empathy for Veritas. He's the one that, but see, that's the whole thing. Is like you said, we didn't really get a POV of Nathair. So, and I think obviously done on purpose because Veritas is the one we're supposed to care about when he's like, oh, this is going on. And then we're going to see Veritas come to terms with that, and that's going to be where the reader gets the empathy. No, well, so for me, it's Dorf Veritas because, like, I'm sorry, you can only go so far of saying uh, I think it's bad to, like, you know, kill women. I think it's bad to kill children. Oh, wait, you're killing children in front of me. Oh, no. Stop. That is wrong. Oh, no. And he doesn't actually do anything. Oh, Nathera says I shouldn't do anything. I'll sit there and not do anything. That's that's where I think I think that may have been what Yeti you were talking about about someone being an imbecile. At some point, you just accept someone's just dumb, and that well, to me is Veritas. Yeah, I mean, we can stick on this topic actually about because this is a big crux of it is that these characters I think are idiotic, and I I mean the main person I was talking about was yes Veritas, but definitely Nathair. I mean mm-hmm. him too. I mean there's the writing on the wall, and even honestly, and you might you might push back on this honestly Corbin too. 
I mean, the last book on the, the last line of this book is Corbin saying they all need to die and pay for what they did or they must be stopped. Why does it take this long for just, you need both your parents to die. I I honestly think he, and the way he realizes he's, or they tell him that he's the um, bright star. And I I just felt he's not as dumb as the other two, but I was also like, come on. (laughs) Yeah. Uh, Let let me push back a little bit on it. Okay. So first for Nathair, and again, maybe it's just because of of the world I live in. There's just so many people who they've self-deluded themselves. It's not that they're, they're not, they're intelligent people, but they've chosen to believe something that contradicts all the evidence, everything that's in front of them, because they want to believe X, whatever X is. They want to believe it with all their hearts. The so they will, yeah. So, the, and, so they, they'll engage in cognitive dissonance to just make it be true. Yeah, this is going to go in a bad way. But And they also have a voice telling them confirming these wrong beliefs over and over again. Listen, I could compare this to a certain news station in America and the people that watch that, but I'm not going to do that. Internet and social media and echo chambers. But that's a very, like what you're saying is a very real life thing. I mean, it's, it's, you know, he's using a Calidus as a demon person to do it, but manipulate them. But that's a real world thing. That's someone so self-deluded. You're right. That they, they can't think for themselves. So, so I don't, so, Personally, I don't think Nathair I never thought Nathair was idiotic. I felt he was I've always felt he was he was so prideful he was self-deluded. So and that and what's interesting is I don't know, because like I haven't read book three yet. So I would love to see if in book three he's actually confronted with it and then we get to see, huh, I am the bad guy. And then he either accepts it because what he ultimately wants is to be king of all the band uh, king of the band styles. So if that's his goal, maybe he doesn't care if he's the black, a bright star of the black sun, because ultimately what he wants is to be king of everything. Yeah, he's an idiot because because and it goes for the Jihar and Veritas too. They all their baseline for everything for all the deeds they do is that they have the Benalim, one of the Benalim with them. And the only reason they think Caldus is the Benalim, Benalim is because he has, once they saw him have wings or something, there's such a, a thin veneer of what passed, like passed for them, uh, you know, acceptability into what is good and what is this guy is just. He, he didn't do any good deeds. He did, and actually, every action is pretty uh, harmful or self-serving, but because he's one of the Benalim that they're telling themselves and they saw him do this one angel-like thing, that's why they're idiots because they don't question that. Well, so look, so have you ever believed in something and then have it stripped? Then at some point, have it go, oh, that's not actually true. You'd never had that happen in your life. I think we all have. It's yeah. Like, what, whether it's, it's, oh, yeah, whether you realize, oh, crap, my dad isn't a superhero or, you know, you know, this guy I looked, looked up to as a mentor is an adulterer or whatever the case may be, right? Like, isn't there something like you believe in something then some like uh, this person I thought I was going to be with my whole life is not the person I thought she was. We have to get a divorce, whatever it may be. Right. Like, you know, you have something and then you find it out and it's not true. And then, it, you know, I'm glad you brought up that instance because I've, <laughs> I've been in them sadly as many people, but in those relationships, when that person isn't meant to be, you see the red flags along the way. There's no way you don't. Wait, and maybe you ignore wait, them. No. 
Because okay. I think, wait, wait, you, you, yeah, you see them, but wait, how long? How long do you keep on going? Yeah. Eh, eh, yeah, definitely. Eh. I think a part and, of this. That's why we're not in the third's head. Yeah, yeah. I think a part of this is also look at the POVs we get for this. Like Eric calls them, the Roman Legion side, and then the POVs for everybody else. I also think that it's a slight class issue where you're seeing princes, you're seeing higher nobility, you're seeing warriors that are all about uh, already ruling or being next to people who are ruling. So you're seeing people who are given a pass to do what they've always wanted to do for the good of society. So why would they look any deeper when they're already doing something exactly what they've always wanted to do and also do it for good reason? Whereas you're looking at Corbin, you're looking at um, Camlin, you're looking at all these other people who are usually at the lower rung of society. They understand that, all right, everybody else is supposedly better, but yet these are the humbler people who are just trying to live their life and do a good thing just because that's the good thing to do. That's a good point. I didn't even put that together. I'm thinking of all that, all those people on the dark side, so to speak, and that like jail and we don't have POVs, but they're all people who kind of high born and easily, not easily manipulated, but always think they're because of their status, they have a right to something. They have a right. Well, it's interesting. So I would put like, there's different camps for the uh, for like the the bad guy side. So there's for me there's Calidus who look, I find Calidus refreshing in that he's like a competent bad guy, like that. That's what I find refreshing. Like, More than competent, he's, actually... he's a mastermind. This guy, <laughs> I <laughs> right, like that. Like, I like him like, as a bad I, guy. He's cool. I, Everything goes I, right. Yeah, I like the fact that like you know look, the good guys are gonna have to earn it because Calidus is just gonna throw this one away, right? No, like, yeah, he's not gonna fumble. And uh, yeah. yeah. I, yeah, I don't see my Kyle looks like he's playing checkers versus this guy. It's like <laughs> I agree. No, I agree. I'm like, okay, so wait, so so Asroth gets like literally like the smartest like fallen angel possible, and then like what uh, Elion goes like, uh, well, hell, he's not there. So there's, well, I guess what they fuck, they play tiddlywinks and figure, oh yeah, you Michael, you're gonna go. So I mean. <laughs> All of them. yeah, everyone who we picked to lead is dying and getting overthrown. It's like, man, you're just doing a terrible job. But yeah, yeah. No, but <laughs> Calidus, so look, I like so so Calidus, like I like him for the fact that to your point, he's a mastermind. And then you have the group that's like that they're actively on uh, uh, Calidus' side, and I would put that's like the Evanus, uh was it Rin? Um, yeah. Like, like, yeah, like, even if he doesn't really yeah. know it. I mean, he's active. Like, the, so those are like the bad, bad guys, right? And then you have Nathair, who's like a dupe, right? Right. I yeah. mean, and then so you have those same those with, same with Veritas, right? I wouldn't even call Veritas a dupe. Veritas is just, I just, I would. They just, yeah, like, I Sol, okay. Cause Soul said they didn't. I think they described him like that in book one. He, they, they always said he was very loyal. He wasn't the smartest of the brothers, but his loyalty and his, his yeah. va- essentially the valor he has. Yeah. That's he was always the blend of both brothers. The, right. Not the smart one, but not the fighter, but he could do a little bit of both and mostly loyal. That's how loyal. they always describe loyal. him. Yeah. Well, and then the last group is going to be the ones who are forced to help. Like They know what's going on, but they're forced to help. And I'm thinking of Alcyon when I say that. Ooh, yeah, love me. Yeah, he has man, to. man, I am so glad I called out Alistair on the first book. Man, I love that guy. I love. Is, is he gonna get it? Are we gonna be able to talk about him, or is this now the time for him? Bring it up. Yeah, well, okay. Yeah. I really like him with um, Suin. Like just seeing him 
obviously being like, all right, he's tagging along. He's trying to do a little bit of good. Like he'll actually protect her because he because he recognizes her. So I thought it was it was interesting to see that and to just get more to root for him. I like uh, when they're hang like she's with him and uh, as a prisoner, it's like super cold out. And she's like, I can't feel my toes. And he's like, did you try wiggling them? And she's like, thanks. Yeah. Great yeah, advice. Thank, yeah, appreciate it. Yeah, great advice. <laughs> I just love the fact that, yeah, I like the fact that giants aren't monolithic. Like, uh, Alcyon is clearly, quote, a good guy. Like, you know, he's not, he's obviously being forced by Catalyst to do what he needs to do, right? I mean, they don't come out and say it, but obviously, yeah. like, he says, watch out, like, don't let him get a hair of Corbin, like, then things will go really bad, and then you see what happens then with uh, yeah. Fidel. Yeah, we already see exactly. We see right. mind control, well, not mind control, but we see body control already, uh, right? And will control. I also like that you know they're not; they have their own subcultures where they have their own prejudices against other different types of giants. They're not all just one big happy family. You know what I mean? They have their own history between giants and their own kind of uh, yeah. you know. It's a like race that. of people. It's a culture. It's right. a good world building. Yeah. That's, that's just right. how you want to create a world that's interesting. And and speaking of it, it's like we don't get a lot of screen time with him, but there's the traitor giant, Ulfus. Mm, yeah. Yeah. We got decent. Yeah. He, well, he was in the first book. He's in like the very first scene of Malice. Yeah. So, mm-hmm. so what, what I liked about him is we kind of get a little bit more into him. It's like he's kind of, I mean, uh, he's a, he may be physically brave, but he's a moral coward. And and I love that we, I, what I love is that we actually get the screen time like with him to realize oh, like he's weak as hell like he's a morally weak person and and right. I like that it actually gets developed. He's scared. He's he reminded me you you brought it up era where there's <clears throat> different categories of bad guys and for me he's one of the ones that doesn't he's I think he's fearful and in that fear he believes that them not doing something one way means they're going to lose. So he'd rather, you know, he essentially he wants to use the weapons that they have and the cauldron and stuff. And so in doing that and that fear and believing, no, this is the only way we're going to survive. We have to use that. And I have to betray you because he didn't want to, you know, near the, when at the very end of the book, he did not want to betray her. He hesitated yeah. until that, that bird, which don't get me started. I on mean, those birds. it's see, that that's where I think it's, it's moral cowardice because I think he it wanted is. to betray her because he, what what he ultimately wants is power, and he's just trying to make himself. Ah, oh, she's forcing me that. to do this. Oh no! Oh, you're making me take my gun out and shoot you. So I really don't want to do it. I mean, yeah. I don't think that. I, I think <laughs> I think you're right in a sense. He wants the power, and he wants, in a sense, to do it. He wants to kill the one giant and have her get her out of the way because he doesn't agree with what she's doing. But he also clearly, it's not so easy for him to do that. I mean, he has a history and a love for his people and he was taught. He even turned, he said, um, no, I'll just talk to her instead. I'll say, I'll, you know, try to reason with her. It wasn't until he was outed by that stupid Raven, uh, great Raven, I guess (laughs) that he was a bad guy. So, but, but again, that's the complexity that I think Gwyn's going for. He's trying to make that character complex instead of just an evil traitor. Just a, a guy who's just like, yeah, you know, what I mean? yeah, it's funny because you also talk about like mustache twirlers like jail or whatever. Because I kind of, well, I was yeah. about to say, and Lycos didn't start off that way in Valor, but like by the end of Valor, I'm kind of like, eh, you're growing that little bit of a mustache. Like, I mean, oh, he was 100%. Like, once, yeah. once you get the, um, like the fifth time he 
he messes with uh, uh Fidel. Fidel. Yeah, well, Castell, honestly. That's when I was like, yeah. all right, we're getting like some serious just oh, jail. I'm a super villain for this this little rest of this book. And I was like, all right. Um I, well, I mean, so a little, a little bit of time that. It's and that's where I say you can kind of see the, the, the seams of the book a little bit because Lycos is clearly being set up as an antagonist for somebody we'll talk about later. Mm-hmm. I mean He's clearly being set up to, to to be that person. So we get to spend a whole bunch of time of him being just like self-serving and just like hedonistic and just you know, it's just it was a little bit too much. That's all. Yeah, he, was, you know? he was like a villain in a movie from the eighties. Sure. Yeah. Yeah. That's a good description. I'll try to sway. I'm going to keep it with that topic, but I'm going to sway to Corbin in a way. So okay. I think well, didn't the, we originally start with Corbin and the Thera? Well, and we the thera. on all this super it's tight. Good. No, it's so sorry. He said Corbin and the Thera, so we yeah. just chose the Thera. So, well, yeah. so we're okay. talking about because I'm always interested. I'm interested in the dynamic between those two and the differences, and essentially, not so much the leadership, but what the two groups, the two sides, the big differences. And I think as we were talking about the villains, some of them are just mustache twirly. Some don't know they're being turned into villains. Some have their own motivations, which I actually think Rin is pretty cool because you can tell her she captures Corbin because she he's pretty much like uh, insurance. She likes knowledge. She's not totally with Nathair. You know, they have, and that's kind of the downfall of in any of these fantasy books, these evil, the bad side, that they're all eventually out for themselves. Whereas you go to Corbin's side and he's only bringing more and more people to him because of his virtues, because of his, um, because of his decisions. I mean, one of the big, one of the big things with Corbin in this book, I think that was kind of, a, uh, an imp- impact making moment was when he kind of decides I'm not going to do what, whatever this prophecy says I'm going to do. I'm not going to go to the hundred and hide out. My Adana needs me. I made an oath to her. I'm going to see this through. Or my sister is missing, and I've just found out she's alive. I'm going to deviate and find my sister because she's family. And though even though it had put me at risk and I'm the chosen one to save the world, this is more important. She's my family. And I think those moments, characters kind of rally around that. Yeah, I would, if you want, so there's two things, and then... Um... One, so the reason he's the bright star is because he doesn't go straight to the 100. He's the bright star because he demonstrates loyalty and valor and bravery and all that. That, I think that's message one that Gwen's sending. And then the second thing, which I'm going to pick up on something Solson in the first book, Corbin's stubborn as hell. He's just incredibly stubborn. And so I don't give a hoot if it's Michael, King of the Benelim, or like you know, or you know, or my Lord. sister. I, I'm going to do what I want to do, and f you otherwise. That's kind of Corbin's yeah. entire attitude. He's nicer about it, but that's his right. attitude. Right. No, so he had a whole line. You call, you call being stupid. Yeah. He's just he's yeah. stubborn to a fault, and that's yeah. he, he never lets up being stubborn. Yeah. Well, he had a whole line with basically what you're saying when he finally realizes he's the he's like basically the bright star. The Jahar of the Hundred are all with him, and he's like, "You guys can come with me, I guess, if you want to risk your life." But I'm doing this, so like, I ain't doing what anything you want to say. But if you want to come with me, it's cool, I guess. Okay, I'll let you. I'll allow it. And I'm like, "All right, this guy is just gonna go off and do exactly what he wants." Well, <laughs> and, and what what I appreciate about that is because there was a definite contrast with those good guys. Because you have Michael, 
kind of going, mm-hmm. dude, you are totally screwing this up, right? And yeah. Gar's like, dude, you gotta listen to he's, he's an actual angel. Why aren't you listening to him? This is stupid. And then you have Gar's father chuckle going, I kind of like uh, I like that. I like your attitude, but you know, it's like I'll, yeah, he's I'll like, follow where you. It's he's like, got spunk, right. kid. Fun. Yeah, <laughs> you got a pair on you, buddy. I like that. So you know, so yeah. I like that contrast. Right, but many a lot of characters feel that way. You see that over and over again. Camlin comes to that realization. Yeah, uh, Corlin sees that too. She's like, you know, I, I kind of like that attitude about him and it's and you guys say stubborn and it definitely is but it's not a selfish stubborn he's like i'm not doing this because you know i want it that way he's just he feels this is the right thing to do he feels like that's what i told someone i would do well do you remember what we when we discussed in book one how like i said that there's kind of like representative of the roman legions and corbin's representative of like the old celtic qualities well were the right. old Celtic qualities truth honor loyalty courage I mean, and Corbin is like the representation of all those qualities. The embodiment of all of them. Exactly. Yeah. Um, yeah, I mean, I, it's, it's, it's funny because I, I don't have too much else on Corbin because he's, he's just, he's the main character and he's like that typical, you know, kind of. He's the one you root for. Yeah. You know, I, I, he's, I always find those characters to be the least interesting. And I actually think Corbin is interesting and, in this book, but for me, it's always again. I always get more psyched about the characters around him, the people around him, and things so, like that. The two things I, well, the one thing in particular I did not like about the Corbin story was that whole thing where he was captured and was in uh, Rin's castle and everything. I mean, the plot armor on him was so thick that it was it was. It, it choked me, right? And I'm like, okay, either this is the part where I was like, either spend more time there, like spend more time there and develop it and give them a reason to not just cut his throat because it was pretty thin. And somehow, even when at the very end, when they're like, kill him, I mean, and then Connell not doing it for the flimsiest of reasons is just to me, the plot armor was too thick on on, on the well, character. I it's think very noticeable. I'll agree with the plot armor because we all know he wasn't going to die. The main yeah. issue that I think you probably had with it was a timing issue. When was like for the probably fifty pages, maybe a hundred pages. He was trying to get the timing right to where everything was happening at once, and I don't feel like he was getting it. And that's what kind of annoyed yeah. me with that. And not so much that all right, yeah, I knew he wasn't going to die, but if he had timed it a little bit better with how he did his scenes and changed them around. And I think it would have been more of a, oh, as soon as this was happening, this also was happening and explain why they got there in the nick of time. More like a movie than it is in a book. I agree with your Connell point. I mean, that one, I guess Coraline stopped him. But I I wholeheartedly disagree with the Rin one um, because in most books I would feel that way where it's like, all right, he got captured. He's... You know, he's the bright star. He They take him out. But one, I think we already talked about, Rin has her own ambitions. And she said to Evnis, she said, remember, Nathair is not your, he's not the one you're going to follow. And, you know, she doesn't answer to Nathair and Kaladesh. She doesn't care that they want. It wasn't until she found out who he was and talked to Azroth. And then that's when she wanted to kill him. And that's, again, the Connell thing. I kind of agree. But 
when she took him in and I, at first I was like, Oh, why don't they just kill him? I'm like, Oh, that's right. Because he's, he's a hostage. He, any advantage for her, we've seen her. That's how she works. Any advantage could turn out. So it made yeah. sense in that way. Fair enough. No, no I, I think that's a good point. Um, and since we're talking about Connell, so this is, I, I'm already pre irritated because <laughs> Connell's going to end up somehow being back on the good guy side at some point. And I guess we're no. supposed to like him because he has a fiery temper or something. Can't, I want him to die. You know who else I want to die? He will die. He's going to turn good as he dies. That's that's his story. That's how his storyline's going to end. No. No. Yeah. No. Yeah. No. 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 Yeah. He's going to turn good nope. in front of nope. Coraline and die at the nope. same time doing his last act to redeem nope. himself. That's what's going to happen. I'm nope. calling it. I'm calling it. That's fine. Okay. Okay. That's it. So, so my call is his brother's going to die, which is going to make him realize that everything he's he's been doing is like for all the wrong reasons. Yeah. And then Khan's going to turn over to the good guy's side. That's no, 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 no. No, I think he's going to die and then he's still going to get conflicted. And then he dies in front of Coraline finally being good. Okay. There you go. What break, sorry, go ahead, go ahead, Yeti. Oh, right. you can't make predictions. I'm sorry. I, I will say if if there's any characters that change and do redemption arcs, I will say if as for Connell, I do feel like he has the flimsiest case if that happens because we just don't spend as much. I just he's just not as fleshed out as a character as other one. At least Veritas is fleshed out. Whether he's it works or not, Connell's yeah. just too one dimensional. He's quick to anger but quick to laugh, and it's not enough for yeah. me. to and it's like, and he's the contrast to the calm, serene, stoic, steady Hallian. Oh, he will always do the right thing, no matter what. So you know, so that that that's the contrast. So look, what ends up happening is, at least by the end of this book, Hallian's going to do the right thing, even if it hurts him, and Connor will do the right thing for himself, regardless of the consequences. That's kind of what what I take away from those two. Yeah. All right. Let's get into if I mean if you're gonna say Valor is anyone's book, I would argue it's this person's book. Let's talk McKin Mackin and his journey into um I mean his his subplot is essentially revenge. I mean it is solely revenge and failure. I mean those two balancing acts. And the only th- first thing I want to say about this is he has the best, in my opinion, and I, I'll, I can revise this as we go on. I'm just going based off memory what I think. I think he has the best relationship in this book uh, with Ogle. And the fact that Gwyn was able to do that in such short amount of time with these two characters, um, I thought was one of the best uh, writing uh, things he did in this uh, this book. That you actually felt that you know pain when... Th- I felt more pain when Ogle died than when... Corbin's mom died. And that's a testament to the the friendship they had and the bond and the thing like that. So, Eridandis, I know you wanted to vamp about McKin because you, as we were reading, all you could talk about was how how great he was. So, what did you think about the direction to turn him essentially into a, a lead player in this series? So, a Nordic revenge stories, like, shoot them directly into my veins. Like, I love the story. Sorry. Like, it's a complete weakness of mine. So, that was in my wheelhouse. I loved, like, in retrospect, I love having the, like, it enhanced the Castell story from the first book to kind of see 
McKinn takes center stage. It's like, oh, wow, this is exactly what Soul said. It's, ex- it's exactly what Soul said. And I was like, I could not have been happier like that that occurred, right? And then you have the whole story arc where you see McKinn's even harder on himself than 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 people are being to him, like physically, right? So yeah. not only is he getting beaten down physically and mentally and emotionally, and then Lycos, of course, being cruel, like, no, 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 I don't want you going all the way down. You need to come up just enough that because I want to use you. And there's just this stubborn core that slowly gets revealed of, look, there's a part of me you will never get. That's And that, that core is exemplified by his relationship with Oracle. It's like, there's a line I will never, ever, ever cross. And I love that, that kind of storyline where you see somebody get beaten down and just refusing to give in. Like, he may be getting beaten down physically, he may like, have his ear torn off, all this stuff happens, but like, the core of who he is as a person, you can't touch. And the way it was done in this book, I loved it. Loved it. Yeah, that was you. Honestly, you nailed it. The biggest, the best part, the reason why he was the best character is because not because he was physically tortured or because he was laid low in the pits and where he went. It was that psychological torture he did to himself that he he couldn't he couldn't even face Ogle anymore because of what he was doing. What he he's killing innocent people in a pit and. How you know how that goes against everything he stands for, and he should rather just die. But like uh, Era said, there's just this little ember that just keeps him going, whether it's revenge or rage or just the willingness not to die. He keeps on going. He keeps putting one set, and he hates himself for it. He knows he's going to keep going, and he's going to keep doing these terrible things, and he just hates himself more and more until that very end, that moment that's like honestly beautiful where he just says, you know, he's not going to kill you today, sword brother, and turns around for that one last face-off like that. That payoff was so... Be- I mean, he shouldn't have cut his friend's ankle. I mean, that kind of hindered him in that regard. But yeah, other- yeah, if you were going to do that, you probably should have thought about mm-hmm. it like 10 seconds before, but, you know... Right. <laughs> but that the battle inside his head was the the beauty in that whole that this whole book, and it was... I love when characters get laid low like that. Like, that's that's... Like, that's the good stuff. That's when Gwyn really excels, and... Uh, sorry, I'll let... No, I mean, you guys, like you said, my thoughts are very similar. Um, This storyline in the book is one of the few that worked perfectly in this this book for the length, mostly because it it fits well in an epic story because it's needed the time for him to grow and you get the highlights of the relationships. You get the highlights of him getting enslaved and the training. You don't feel like anything was rushed in this because you're seeing all these other events. This is the storyline that works the most in the book because of all the the cutscenes and ending and going to the other other you know other scenes that are in the narrative. And that's why it works so well. As I really liked his sword brothers, even the ones that he was meeting and making friends with in this uh, the pits. And it was great. It was it was just probably the best part of the book because it was just so tight. I really liked it. I also like the fact that it was not directly connected to the main storyline. He has his own story. And that's where I said, like, if, if Gwyn just wanted to write just, uh, if he would just wouldn't written a trilogy about McKinn, 
I would have been fine with that, right? Because I assume at some point it's going to connect back to the main storyline, but we've been basically two books where McKinn's story is his, like, it's just not a part of what's going on right now, right? Um, well, he just saved Fidel, so I'm I'm assuming he's going to be noticed by somebody and going to have some influences from there. This is part of where I, I kind of go again. Okay, this is where mm-hmm. the I see the seams of the story and it kind of, uh But, so, obviously, Lakel did some, I'm sorry, Lycos did some pretty gross stuff with Fidel, and at the end of the at the end of this book, like it's McKinn and Fidel kind of escaping. So whether they get a romantic relationship, something's going to happen where there's some bond between McKinn and and Fidel. Fine. And then what's going to have to happen? What has to then happen is because McKinn, he's focused like Elizabeth on Jael. He doesn't care about anything else besides getting his head. So how are you going to redirect him? Somebody's going to have to kill Fidel. And who's that going to be that somebody? Somebody who's been torturing him this past book, Lycos. So then you're going to have Mr. Mc, uh, McKinn, who is everyone's going to be freaking terrified of, because now you have a pit fighter who's not controlled by anybody, who's like literally like the, probably the most dangerous human being on, in the Banished Lands right now, like coming for your head. I mean, he's, people are going to be terrified of this. I'm going to love the storyline. It's like classic Nordic revenge. I'm like, I can't help it. So. Yeah, boy, does Yeti have a movie for you? <laughs> <laughs> well, I will. I did want to bring up just a bit, like on the, and I'm not going to comment on it, most of that. But the cool factor, I mean, which is pretty surface level, but Era brought it up. I mean, McKinn before this was just like a just a regular warrior, kind of with Castell. Now he's a dude who knows how to fight dirty. He's ferocious. He has a nickname. They yeah. call him the Old Wolf. I mean, he's like a a larger than life figure. And I think when now he's injected into likely the bigger story, I think you're going to really see that kind of he's, he has, he has a name for himself. And I think it's just on a cool factor. Again, it's going to yeah. be interesting. Yeah, if, uh, let me kind of explain kind of like where I said, like, you know, like he's probably the most dangerous guy in the banished lands because we have the Vinthalon, right. And like, like those inner core bodyguards, They've always been described as like these insanely competent, insanely ruthless, like, you know, people who fight and do this and that and the other, right? But they're always under Lycos' control, right? So you never kind of really see one cut loose. Well, that's exactly what McKinn is. McKinn is that, but not under anybody's control. Well, they do a good job of of saying, just like how the Roman Legion is, uh, you know, they're all technical fighters. Mm-hmm. And also in, uh, what is it, Dunkirk, they're all training to learn to, you know, to fight the right way. You fight one-on-one, you do all this stuff, so they're breaking the rules occasionally. You're seeing McKinn, who now was trained with a sword, so he's got the long range, he's got all these different skills. Now he's a street brawler, really. So that's why they're really just trying to just, like, this dude is now on all aspects of fighting. As a close fighter, too. I mean, like, pits, they're not big. I mean, they're right in it. You you don't have much room to you know, dance around and mm-hmm. yeah, he makes him faster. And yeah, it's. Well, the other thing is he's, he's, we've all pointed out, well, I guess you guys point out to me before that as a pretty ruthless world, he's like, there's no hesitation, but it, cause in the first book, he would, eh, whatever. an orgle would be the one that would like be bashing heads in. Yeah. Like by the end of this book, like McKinn's like cutting throats first and a few questions later. Right. So, mm-hmm. 
Yeah. He's someone we want on the good side, but whose side is that? We'll find out next time. Well, that's, you know, that's why I feel like this does dive into epic fantasy. I mean, epic fantasy, you have different factions eventually meeting up, whether what faction that is or not. You know he's going to meet up with someone that is in the other part of the story, you know. So, and that's for me, that's always exciting. I'm like, ooh, I want to see how these two mix. So the seeds are there because Orgle, with his last breath, is like, you know, tell Michael that, like, you know, I never gave up my oath, right? So, I mean, you have that through line for, like, you know, which honestly, I should thought that was cool. Yeah, I I didn't mind it, but yeah. I, I like the fact that, like, you know, look, you know, so even Orgle, who was tortured and beaten and all this stuff was done to him, he also, there's something he refused to give up, right? And yeah. that's kind of like what you were told at the end, is that, like, he never gave up either, right? So, um, kind of, yeah, that, that to me is like when, when you talked about, like, you know, how it meant something. When he said that, I'm kind of like, all right. Like, that was just a really good pairing and story. Yes. Again, best relationship in the series, I say. Yeah. Series? Again, I can change it when I reread and I'll see, wow. but I, I, it was very moving to me. I mean, those, those scenes where they're both in the pits, like hanging around eating, and they won't even look at each other because they're both so disgraced with what they're doing and what they used to be, just sword brothers. It meant something, an oath. You know, there's something righteous that they were doing, and now they're pit fighting, killing essentially innocent people. And eventually, and then they finally, you know, have to fight each other. And Ogle just said, you know, I just wanted to talk to you again. And, you know, say, I mean, it's, it was beautiful. It really was. And he did it in such a short, yeah, not short, a book, but still. Yeah. But you know what? Like, it's funny because like, for me, in terms of like relationships and stuff, and they don't spend a lot of time on it, but like, I love, I love Corbin's relationship with Dath and Oral. I, I was just going to say. I, seven to, what well, he's the seven seven like daughters or whatever it is like he deliberately just pronounces it i love it you know so it's just you know it's fun i like that relationship yeah like how they end that chapter when he's gar says he's a seven disclare and all you hear is daff laughing said and daff it's like seriously him (laughs) and that's how a best friend would act like what this dude who i've been hanging out with this whole time joke all right let's get into uh the biggest moron in the the story. So Veritas, essentially, like I said, he's been going on. I I think it's very um, purposeful that Calidus is sending him away from Nathair more and more uh, and kind of hiding him from the bad things that has to be done. You know, he's doing bad things, but the real bad things hopefully are being hidden from him. And, for whatever reason, he's these red flags everywhere, and Veritas is just blinded by his loyalty. His he's been saying for the greater good now. I caught him saying it, and again, this belief that he has a righteous Benalim, an angel on his side, so they must be doing this lack of any questioning. That a little bit does happen because he picks up on some things that Elcyon says um, when Kerwin. Uh, Corbin's sister is asking him questions. He eventually just gets frustrated and tells her to stop. Um, but overall, it's just frustrating. And he, to me, it comes off less complex and more just blind stupidity. And the main one, the the one part that really did it for me was, um, I think he was here. You guys correct me if I'm wrong. But when the killing of the, the giant barons. The giant children, yeah. Yeah. 
that he should was be right for, there. Yes. That was a yeah. big thing for me where I was like, this is stupidity. There's nothing, there's no manipulation. That is brutal murder of children. And that's for me where I kind of agree with Aridandis, where I think he's a lost cause. <laughs> I think there's yeah. no redemptions hard to come back from that. Because he has he has a literal friend, an Alcyon, proof that, you know, giants are more than just one dimensional creatures that are bad guys. And yet he still does it. I'm I'm incredibly frustrated because the the plot line's been laid. He's going to. Here's where I'm going to get extremely frustrated. I, I'm going to pre-complain, okay? Because <laughs> oh no, I, I okay. His, there, there's a future love interest with him and Quinn, right? That's oh, not I don't like that happen. <sighs> So fine, which means at some point he's going to have to come over to the good guy side, right? Which means then the one quality he has. That he's well known for, he's going to have to break. So he's going to have to turn traitor. But he's loyal. The one thing he is is loyal. He's going to have to turn yeah. traitor to be on the good guy side, right? So you have an idiot who has no good qualities. Well, he can fight a little bit. Apparently, not that well because he always ends up losing, right? When he's not behind the shield wall. Or best time. Well, that's just because they're trying to build how how awesome the shield wall is. Yeah, but anyways, I'm just, I, I'm I'm with, I, whatever. Nope. He's gonna live, and I'm gonna hate it. So I'm not I'm not a fan of his relationship with Suin. Um, yeah, not much more to be said there. There's I don't feel any chemistry. I also don't feel like the time that was spent. As a prisoner, would have merited any Stockholm syndrome, but okay. My my favorite part of reading Veritas' chapters is Alcyon. So I've been trying to talk myself into this relationship for like the last few days. Not talk myself into it, but I was trying to. You're justify. trying to root for it. I just justify because, like you said, it's not earned. Mm-hmm. And I was trying to put myself in the place of. The audiobook says Kerwin. Uh, it's spelled like Suin with a C or something like that, but Corbin's sister. And okay, so she's away from all of her family. She Everyone she meets is kind of a dick, like Connell or scary. Uh, like at first, Alcyon and Caldus and kind of like that. And the first smiling face she sees is Veritas. Now, I'm not saying it's love, obviously. That's ridiculous. But I could understand them having a little bit uh she'd feel more comfortable around him again the whole verita stuff it's setting her up to be a love interest because you keep seeing verita sees her you know her face show up when he's doing something you know i can't get her out of my thoughts well if you want to know why i think it's because gwen wanted us to have an additional reason to like veritas is because we like swin and we see her like this guy so she must obviously see something in him, but we don't. Maybe not to, readers not yeah. maybe not so to like him, but to qu- <laughs> he needs something to question his decisions. And it seems like Gwen is choosing Kerwin as that reason. And I think it should just be more common sense. <laughs> like he should question when <laughs> giant babies are <laughs> murdered. That's, that's more interesting or, though. Or his brothers. Right. Yeah. His brothers are I actually kind of interesting. I would yeah, bring them in. Yeah. He's got the bookish brother who's a little bit of a dick, and then he's got his uh, uh, super popular, awesome older brother, right? So, I mean, he's yeah. great. You know, so it's like, and I know, 
So he's got this super tested relationship with his dad. So I can't wait for him to kill his dad. And then, like, great. <laughs> so there's no redeeming qualities about you. Not only are you a Kingslayer, you're a Kinslayer, right? Just, ugh. So, anyways, sorry. I'm just. It just seems like a boring path he's taking that down. Uh, and yeah. like a typical path where he's trying to differentiate himself from other fantasy series, adventure fantasy or typical fantasy, where that just seems like something we've seen before. And it just seem, it, you know, it's kind of a cop out. It's like, okay, now he's supposed to change his ways because of a prisoner he's known for who he kind of likes a little bit. I mean, who knows? I mean, <laughs> falling uh, in love I for the first time happens, but I would have preferred for him to be more of a willing participant in the plans and then change. You know, um, I because at least there there's a redemption arc to be had that way. I mean, Veritas is basically a good guy. He just happens to be on the wrong, who chose the wrong side, and he's a little bit not smart enough to figure out that he's on the wrong side, right? Despite the obvious clues yeah. of dead children in his path, right? I mean, I, I don't know, you know. But you got all right. You got to admit, it is kind of funny. Like it's it's like watching a comedy where they're just like. It's like the Three Stooges where it's like, you know they're doing something stupid, but you still enjoy watching it a little bit. I'm kind of in that yeah. point with Veritas. I'm like, all right, you dummy. What are you going to do now? You're like, well, that was a good idea, right? I'm like, no, but all right, what are you going to do next? That's what it feels like. We're getting to that point. I just want a chance to talk to Nathera. He's my, my bestie forever who I haven't seen in like two and a half years. Or like whatever it is. Yeah. He's like, oh, but these evil pirates, they're they're cool. They're They're with us. We're fine. Look at them. They're helping us out. They're giving us ferry rides. Remember, remember, you got to keep your word in it there. Oh, yeah, no, I'm super loyal to it there. Yeah, I mean, it's just, it's, ah, oh, I'm sorry. That's yeah. it. Sorry, he is not my company. Yeah. yeah. I'm good. I'm good on Veritas. I've said enough. I'm sure we'll have more to say with him going forward. Don't, don't worry. I, I apologize to anybody who likes Veritas' story. He's just not my cup of tea, you know? I do in, in theory. That's what's frustrating is the idea of someone who's loyal to this person who we initially thought was good but uh, continuously does these evil, you know, terrible things. And that should be interesting to confront those as a human being with empathy should be like, wait a second. But he's not doing he's he, He's just blindly keeps going. And the only thing where he does question it is when he meets a girl. And he's like, oh, well, I see her face. And that's a cop out. That's not interesting to me. I had high hopes. That's he was the guy who I said was the Lancelot of the story, and and Lancelot's story, right? Like he was the guy who did daring deeds, and he was super awesome and all that stuff. And then his downfall was a woman, right? But it was King Arthur's wife. So I mean, it was at least a couple of us. So Veritas is nothing like Lancelot, which oh well. All right, we've held off long enough. Let's talk about the last, I'd say, main POV. And uh, I'm really going to just throw this to Eridanus. We're going to talk about Camlin. And this is the brigand, remember, the woodsman, who, I mean, more and more has been getting more respect uh, from the group. Everyone, many people have come up and said how vital he is to, to them being alive and really per- have heart-to-heart talks with them one-on-ones that really kind of make him genuflect and reflect on what he's been going through. And Eridanus earlier said he's the worst character he's ever read. So go ahead, Eric. <laughs> yep, yeah. Er- I think he quoted something like, uh, this guy's irredeemable. I think was, was his words, right? I think that's what it was. All right, go ahead. What were you going to say? Are you guys done? We're done. We're done. Go ahead. <laughs> okay. 
My bad. Mea culpa. All right. Um, so usually what I don't like about these rogue redemption stories is that there's no recognition that what he did in the past was wrong. There's literally no recognition of it, right? Not by other people, not by the character, not by anybody, right? It's just, oh, I guess he's a good guy now. And I've always found that immensely irritating. And what Gwen did well, which I liked, we're in Camlin's head with his own internal monologue. He's like, and he's sitting there going, man, I've killed a lot of people. I've murdered people just for silver. What am I doing here? And then I don't want to be that person anymore. Like, that's not the person I want to be. I want to be somebody different. That's all he needed to do. Like, I don't need that much, but he gave me that, which told me, okay, this is a character. He's, Developing a character who recognized that he did bad things in the past and that he wants to change and he wants to be a better person. So that then puts his future deeds in context of he's trying to live up to an ideal he has in his head of who he wants to be. That's what I needed. And he gave me that. And that made me accept the character and like it. And then when he had all those cool lines of like, not today and stuff like that. It's like, yeah. okay, that was fun. Like I was, I was then enjoying the character. So there, okay, I was wrong. I admit it. All right. Well, we still have two books to go. You could flip on <laughs> again. That's like, true. Oh, wait a That's second. okay. But yeah, I w- I would agree, man. Camelon is a great character. I was always on board with him. Um, even more so now with this book. It's the little moments that I really like when he um he helped Dad. Death had just lost his father. Just a little stuff. He's like, uh, I think this kid needs to have an activity that feels included, but also help him out. Like he just he knew what this kid needed as you know as the mentor to the mentee, and just there's a bunch of little stuff like that throughout the entire book. Like you said, where they went to him for advice because even nonverbal, he was there for the crew and he was obviously helpful and trying to make amends for his past. He's the only one who had the common sense about the stupid Veritas wall they had. He's like, uh, why don't we just roll a rock down there? And they're like, oh my God. <laughs> yeah, like, this, this, is, this is incredible. We did why it, do yeah. we know what to think of this? There's thousands of people in this kingdom and nobody <laughs> thought of that. Just get on a hill. I, <laughs> I think it was smart for Gwyn to put, you know, it felt natural because he put him around people that finally made him want to be better. I mean, there was, I'm thinking of a scene where I think um, there was Adana and, uh, they're about to lose. And he was like, well, you know, I don't blame them for running. I I'd do the same thing, you know? And then he looks to Adana and he just thinks, well, maybe not, you know? And it's because he has people that make him want to be better or give him a reason. I mean, he's been around brigands the whole time. If you surround yourself with, you know, negative people or awful people, that's going to rub off on your quality, you know, as a person, when you're surrounded by people who, you know, have no build, not nobility, but you know, good qualities, it's going to rub off. And if that's really the kind of person you are, that'll eventually come out. That's why I think it's not totally a cop out that these qualities come out in him after X amount of years being, you know, a liar and a thief because he's been following Braith and his people who are liars and thieves. Well, it's rational just like, well, not just like some of the other parts of this book, but the way he writes his, this world is that he is surrounded by these people are all, excuse me. These people are all um, 
products of their environment and who they're raised by. So when this Hamlin was, uh, his family was killed. So then he was raised by brigands, right? Or he ran away and basically became what killed his family. So what, right. what else in this world, it makes sense to me that that's what he does because that's how pretty much every POV character we have became who they are is because they were raised by so-and-so and that's just how they do their thing. So this is somebody who's changing their, their entire lifestyle. Well, I, let me say this. Yes to everything you said, but he doesn't lose uh, some of those brigandish qualities. Like, when it's go time, he is like... Oh, yeah. He'll kill. Honestly, like, way more ruthless than, than anybody in his group. Like, yeah. mm-hmm. he's, he's like, no, when you do it, you commit all the way, you take care of business, blah, 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 blah. So, I mean... Well, the one hostage does, they had, right? And oh, that just, was right. brutal. I loved it. Yeah. Oh, that was yeah. so good. Yeah, like, everyone's like, well, what are we going to... He just walks right up to him. He's like, no, this isn't done. Let's let's get this going, because this is what was yeah. going to happen. They're like, yeah, you're probably right. All right, let's go. He was going to kill us. So. The quote... There's only one quote I highlighted, and I think this is around his time, but it said... Uh, this world may be full of greed and tragedy and darkness, but I am fortunate beyond measure to have such people about me. And that to yeah. me spoke of his, his storyline going forward is that that matters, the people around you and yeah. the different, you know, that goes into the whole Corbin thing too, but I think that's where you see his change. Um, but that was a good point that you brought that he still does have those qualities that, um, that are essential essentially, um, yeah. you know, to survive. Yeah. They're after, they have to fight the bright star. I mean, every plan they've come up, come up with, he's essentially kind of come up with it. He's, a, he's an integral part. He's either like, well, we come up with this plan and we need you to execute it, Camlin, or Camlin comes up with the plan himself. So, yeah. yeah. Right. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, he, you know, it's, again, it, it all comes to having a POV, and I'm glad they chose him to have a POV uh, in this series. I, you know, I'm excited for you guys to read on and see where his story goes. You know what? There's a character I wish we had a POV on. Like, you remember when you asked us last book, is there a character you wish you, you got more screen time? And I said Alcyon on, on the last one. Right. Um, on this one, there's only little bits and pieces. Corbin's mom? I was just, huh? <laughs> Who? Corbin's no. mom. Not even a little <laughs> bit. Um, no, Vaughn. Evans' son. Yes. Okay. I mean, just yeah. There, there wasn't a lot, but just like, a quick was, scene or two would have been cool. I mean, he's obviously on Adonis' side, right? But he's torture. I mean, he's obviously he's torturing himself about what his dad did. Mm-hmm. Other people suspect him for what his dad did, right? Except for Adana, and it's just, I like, I would love to have just even just a chapter, two chapters, just in Von's head. Yeah. He's got a lot. He, he just has a juicy storyline to me yeah. to have your father being a traitor. And he has one of the best lines in the book when Hallian's kind of um, <clears throat> not depressed, but depressed about Connell turning leaf and being so bad. And like, what, what am I going to do about him? And Vaughn just says, doesn't matter if he's blood, he's a traitor. And you have to face that and you have to own that. And everyone noticed like, oh, we know who he's talking about. <laughs> he's talking about his dad. Yeah. He knows from personal experience. Yeah. And but his just, you know, his commitment to that idea that listen, it doesn't matter if they're blood, they that person's a different person and for the worse. 
Yeah, but that's interesting in this world because in this world, blood means everything. Yeah, exactly. It means even, yeah. That's why I think, like you said, having him as a POV would be really meaty. I mean, because it's yeah. such a hard, I mean, it's almost unbelievable that he would do turn on his father like so quickly like he did. But, yeah. and if he did, that must really mentally be messing him up. I know it would mess me up. Well, yeah. this also, he was already kind of against his father for a little while just because his father was constantly not on his side for what Vaughn wanted to do in life, which was marry someone and go against his father's wishes. So, yeah. All right. So those are the big POVs. We did a great job. Let's, um, did, I'll let you guys bring up any of the smaller characters or side characters that you kind of thought made an impact in the story or anything. Yeah. I kind of want to bring up, um, I guess we kind of talked about Tukul a little bit. I was going to say him. Yeah, no, it's fine. Say, Tukul. Tukul. No, so, so, I love Tukul. I love Tukul. Um, Part of what I love about Takul is it gives us a different point of view about Gar. And just the right amount. I don't feel like he was overdone. Yeah. Right. Just the, And it gives a little more background with, with the Jihar. Mm-hmm. Um, Which we needed. We did, because I was a little... Again, their whole thing is really getting suspect to me. <laughs> they all just believed this one guy, and they could be so easily manipulated to against yeah. their goal. Um, but the fact that they it made them more human, that they had fractions within each other, you know, it's still, the, still not my favorite to see an entire, uh, culture divided into just two is like, Oh, one was duped. And then the other one was, Oh, surprised they weren't duped. I don't right. really like that. But especially with all the other issues that go along with conning people in this series, but it's a standard it's okay. trope. It's a standard fantasy trope. And, and that's okay. It's just, I feel like we've got like three different variations of that and this plot line and going forward. Right. So that's all like, again, we got, but you know, it's okay. At least we're getting into it. As you guys said, the biggest thing for me is that his relationship with Gar and just to see Gar as really this young person who was thrust into this position as a young man who hasn't seen his family in decades you know, yeah. and that re- when they reunited with each other at the big rescue scene with Corbin was uh, weirdly emotional for two characters that haven't even talked, and very little interaction, and just the joy of a father seeing a son for the first time. I mean, you know, that's that's bread and butter right there, and the dynamic between them two going forward. It recontextualizes what happens in book one, and it puts into context. Gar's sacrifices and what Gar had to do to basically decide to like live in secret and train who he believed to be the bright star. You know? Yeah. He didn't like Gar's love interest. <laughs> I was like, all right, like you couldn't have just had him be this guy who's totally devoted to that and also made friends. He had to also be secretly in love with Gwyneth. I hated that. Yeah, I didn't like that at all. Yeah, I okay. What, what it was a choice, <laughs> it right. was a choice by Gwen, but it's not, it's not unbelievable. It's not like he ever acted on it. It's not no, like he I, ever I, did anything about yeah, it. It's right? never like he's not a ba- he's not a bad guy, obviously. But <laughs> it's just, but you know, look, I mean, there he was dedicated to his job to be with Corbin, and so really the only female contact he had was Gwyneth and. Apparently she was an attractive woman and like, you know, good person, et cetera, et cetera. It's not unbelievable that he'd be attracted to her, so I know. 
Um, with Tuchel, yeah, that, that did recontextualize just the sacrifice those people made. I, that is interesting where you have to essentially, you're not going to see your son for X amount of years because of this belief you have in this, essentially it's a prophecy. Like it's a, yeah. a religious prophecy they have. They're so dedicated to that. That really puts it into perspective. And the fact that they've been waiting this whole moment, you know, and his just bloodlust. I mean, even, even the small moments. I think really fleshed him out when they went to that uh, stable that was the place that had all their horses and stuff and they're throwing the axes. Yeah, that's small little competition to show that they're not just people that are robotic in one thing. They can, you know, they like friendly competition. They can interact. They're going to adapt. Right. What was the name of the guy who owned that hold? Uh, The horses and the axes and stuff? I mean, in my head, he was just Bob the stable master. I don't remember if that's even close. I liked him. I yeah, he was a cool guy. Yeah. I don't remember his name. Don't worry, you'll you'll have another chance to read it. Don't worry. Oh, okay. I mean, okay. remember who showed up? You know who showed up at the end? I mean, or not the end, but the last time we see them, the uh, the prince who McKinnon Ogle were supposed to watch after. Oh, okay. Right, right, right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, sorry. So, I had it's not the last we've heard of those guys. Don't worry. Yeah. Cool. Is there any other side characters you want to talk about? Because after this, I'm going to nitpicks. I have a few. Uh, what? No, I think we're good. Let's just jump into it. <laughs> and again, these are these are nitpicks, and I'm not again. It didn't totally ruin it, but so the biggest one for me that I I didn't really notice the first time around bothering me, but this time did. So these birds, craft uh, <laughs> and pretty cool, uh, right? Definitely cool. No, totally writing cheats. I, I really think they're crutches for him. These birds can scout. They can talk to these birds, full on conversations. There's no magical ability, maybe hinted at a little bit, but not really. And it's just they can do anything. They can send messages right at the nick of time. They can verbalize who's the traitor, what needs to be done, and it's like in a, a low. It's not super low fantasy, but. It is. It's just. It's, it's, it's just. It's low. It's a. It's a soft magic system, and this yeah. is a part of that that he wants to I'm, use for his writing, which I'm fine. It's. With. It's elementalist. They're an elementalist. Ow. Yeah, you have literal I, demon I, and, it, and angel side. You like so you have the, the birds, two Odin ravens. Are the birds if, real if, birds? If you, what are they? If you <laughs> if you want to call it a convenient plot hole, I will 100 percent agree with you. I do. You're right. I, I will agree with you on that. On the other hand, I'm sitting here going, the good guys have talking birds. The bad guys have, like, you know, demons coming from the from a cauldron to, like, inhabit, like, you know, master warriors to, like, uh, whatever. I think the skills are balanced, okay? Yeah, I'm I'm not bothered by this at all. I'm glad you brought that up. I think you brought that up. That's the next one? Okay. So... It's all the same thing. It's it's he has these things that fit the story that make it convenient. Again, it it fits seamlessly because it the pl- you know the plot moves and it's like oh this happens in time, but the traveling in this the series, these Vin Thalen they show up. How long does it take to get anywhere in ships? Just apparently whenever they need them. Like jails on the edge of defeat. Well, guess who's sailing it to the here? The Vin Thalen from anywhere. No. Really, really. No. So here, so. Yes, the plot armor is very thick. I won't deny that. But what I'll, there's a, been given, we've been given enough hints with Calidus, and Calidus has ways to communicate with this person and that person. So Calidus yeah. is the equivalent of the birds for for the good guy side. So 
I'm more willing to accept that, what you're talking about, because I'm making a presumption that there's a little bit of the Calidus mastermind going on, directing traffic and and everything's end up where they're at. So that that's that was my presumption at least. Yeah, at least yeah, there, was, there were enough hints, I think, of Calidus yeah. doing that that I didn't really bother me. I and mean, there's a blood magic, right? That he can Yeah. 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 I mean look and I think we've been given plenty of hints that, like, to, to your point before, of chess and checkers, Calidus is no joke. I mean, he's legit. He's smart and ruthless, and Gwen is writing an antagonist who is no apparent weaknesses with Calidus so far. Like, Lycos is uh, a borderline alcoholic. He's going to be an alcoholic. I mean, he's drinking like a fish already in, in this book, right? You know? Yeah. Um, that Nathair is like you know, Underline. so so prideful he can't like you know uh, like see whatever like he, he self deludes himself and everything. Giles like a coward, right? You know, I mean, this the list goes on and on and on. Like you know, all these other people that Caldas has surrounded himself with have all these frailties. He doesn't seem to have any. Yeah, that we know of, right? I mean, yeah, we'll we'll see. I feel like we'll, we'll get a lot more in him. Obviously, but all right, I'll let that one go. The birds, I'm not giving you. That's ridiculous. There's no explanation why they can have full on conversations. Two of them. It's now. a soft magic system. Okay, you have cauldrons that summon demon like axes. Like that's that's just the problem with soft magic systems. You got to give them some leeway. It's not a hard magic system with hard rules. That but is it magic? To- do, they say, do they say it's magic? Hey, or is it just yeah, hard? I thought it was... I thought it was elemental. There was oh, they're elementals. They're, el- yeah. they're elementals. That's Birds what he says. In the first book, he says they're elementals. Now, mind you, look. Ah, look, I will agree with you. I think it is ridiculous. But I look at it... Have you guys read The Black Company? No, but it is on my book, like, next... One of my next five books. Okay, three. so... There, there's two wizards that they spend their 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 main parts of the storyline, and they basically spend books on books on books, like pulling practical jokes and just being like comedic relief, dark comedic relief. Okay, and that's kind of how I take these birds. These birds are just kind of yeah, they're they kind of do their thing, and then they're there just to kind of be entertaining and fun and whatever. So that's fair. Last pit, last nitpick, and we can get to predictions. Uh, Maeve just this girl stabbing the guy in the heart was another, um, it just helped that the bad guys. Well, I guess he's not going to agree to, uh, or he's going to fight. Nope, Maeve just stabs him in the face, the throat. Changing plans. She's like, Well, I hated them and I hated, you know, their rule. Uh, They were going to kill everyone. It's like, Well, now you're going to die. I guess you're sacrificing yourself. So I just, again, it didn't like bother. These are nitpicks that didn't really bother me, but it's like, Oh, well, now. Rin's gonna walk right in because this woman. That that didn't bother me, per like by itself. Look, uh, Maeve is a, a, an exceptionally like unsmart person, but we kind of had hints of that as we were leading up to this moment. So, where my nitpick would go is that this is the second or third time that this exact scene has played out. Yeah, someone yeah. gets stabbed randomly. Yeah, or surprisingly. Like, yeah, it was the it was the giant dude with uh, Namane. Um, in the last book, it was uh, um, it happened twice in the in the first book. So I mean, it's it's Hold a thing. Like to do. 
surprise right. stabbings are effective in this world. So I, I'm not surprised right. at all that they just keep doing it because that's what seems to work. Because if, if you like challenge them, like, I'm going to challenge you to this duel with the sword, and then they all, nobody really dies, and only one person kind of goes away limping. And no, apparently surprise stabbings work. So people are going to do it. I'm okay with it. Yeah. yeah. I get nitpicks, but I was just like, I'm, I, with, I, I'm with you. I'm with you. Just different reasons. So, yeah. Okay. Did you think, all right, I'll say this though. Since yeah. we're on the topic of those two, uh, did you think anything actually did happen with uh, the king assaulting his his daughter Maeve? And you think maybe that's why she uh, also had a reason to kill him? I they might have alluded to that, but I don't think they did enough to allude to that. Other than that, he, okay, I was just liked, curious. I mean, I wouldn't be surprised by the way he was talking. <laughs> about yeah, but they were also there. implying that the king never acted on any of that stuff. But I was like, right. well, did he? Because yeah. he did just get murdered by his own daughter. Well, so. he didn't even realize who that well, it was. Her daughter, the one when she first walked by earlier in the book. But. Well, Ma- Maeve's stated reason was, "I love Connell. Connell's a badass." I mean, mm-hmm. so apparently Connell has the magic of quick temper and super magical charisma. I don't know. So. <laughs> it's because he's yeah. funny and he can say one-liner jokes every like three hundred pages. Which makes him, which makes him like you know, super uh, whatever. That's like top tier on the cover of magazines for for the banished Isles. I'm letting you know I'm going to be very depressed when I'm writing your wrong solutions. So. Hmm? He'll be depressed. All right. We'll see. <laughs> we'll see. Speaking of predictions, should we make some? Soul Era's been making a lot of predictions. What about you? You got anything? Uh, well, I had that one. Uh, let's also go with Stewin uh, gets together with Veritas before Corbin and everybody else is introduced to him. Like she goes off on her own to save Veritas and get him to turn to their side. That's something and she's going to do that, (laughs) which is stupid, but just plausible enough. Uh, Lycos obviously comes back. I think Lycos coming back this book in disguise with a, with a must. That's, that's it. He's coming back in disguise and then another surprise stabbing. Okay, those are my predictions. Because they seem to work. Surprise stabbings work. <laughs> Era? Um, I'm going to predict that. Um, let me see. No, you're not allowed to think. You're not allowed to have any more time than I have. Okay. Well, what, what, are the good, what, what are the good guys' size? I'm going to, by size, I mean, so it's either McKinnon or the Corbin group. Is going to get access to one of the cool magical uh, items and be able to use them. The, yeah, we do need some of those. We need to see more of that for the good guys side because right now all they have are two talking ravens. So right, well, they, like, they have they, the axe now. Oh right, well, yeah. yeah. They, so they either need to Battle use or the axe, or I uh, like for one of them to find. Um, what was one of the things? There's a necklace and there's a goblet and there's isn't there cauldron. a book too? Or no, they already have. They have a fake no. book. Is there a real book? Uh, so, so we know the the goblet kind of gives you like long life and like you know super healing yes. powers. So yeah. I would love for like one one of the big warrior types to drink it to like kind of make him that person more of a badass fighter. Right. Cool. So one Utha said he lost it in the swamps. I was very remember that he lost right. it. That's right. It was never found again. So we're we, we got we got to find somebody kind of like wander around the swamps. Oh wait, I'll wait, hold on. Who do we know that's in the swamps right now that Suin decided? randomly not to go with her savior Pendathrin in the swamps gathering people there you go okay. they, 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 your girl's gonna find the yeah yeah 
you could say maybe the story goes in that direction. I mean, we have two more books. Remember, this isn't a trilogy. We have two more. So we have two middle books. I'll ask this question, and it's not – I don't think it's a spoiler, especially after watching this. If I would tell you that there's at least one new POV, who would you guess? That we've seen before? Or sorry, that we know of a character? Well, you know the character, but yes. But now they're going to be a POV. I have two two picks. Sure, you got Might be more than one. I don't can't remember. Nathair. Um, and what was the name of the the idiot? Um, who doesn't like the one who doesn't like Corbin at the beginning? His dad Uh, died. Oh, oh, Rafe. Yeah, Rafe. It could be. No, I'm I'm with you on Nathair just because when Nathair finally does confront it. I would think maybe Gwyn has the guts to try and write that POV scene, but maybe not. I'm not saying guts. I apologize. I don't want to offend him like that. But the uh, the maybe the belief, the writing skills to to pull that off because it will be very difficult to be believable. I don't know if he's going to be able to to do that. Fine then, Calidus. No, you can keep your prediction. I was just I was agreeing with no, you that fine. that there's oh, that's fine. Um, no, Rafe is a cool one. I think that would be there. I think you're going to get a Jael as he, you're going to get a Jael to make him like Lycos where he's an extra super villain and then McKinn's going to kill him and I'm trying not to curse right at the end and you get to see Jael die by a surprise stabbing. (laughs) Well, somebody that we haven't seen a lot of yet, um, Lamar. Hmm. Yeah. Okay, because Lamar is no way, no way she performed. That's Veritas' dad for anybody who doesn't remember. Um, because oh, he's, no. he's, he's not. He's not in the Thayer's camp, and he's gonna have a showdown with with Veritas. Hold yeah, on, Lamar. the safest bet, second chance. Uh, the who's the kid? Not Lamar. Who's the kid that uh, McKinn sent with the other dude to save, like yeah. the young prince? That's like, like eleven or twelve. Castell's cousin. His name begins with a T. T. Tam. Tamar. Tahir. Tahir. No, no, no. Tahir. The Tahir child. Tahir is the one. Yeah, no. Tahir is the one who says, "My mama always says." Okay. No, no, no. Tahir saved this prince guy. Right. Right. The kid. I think we possibly will get that POV, and McKinn will be the new mentor for this kid when they reunite. And oh. wherever Fidel is. Wait so, so the new the P- Wait, so you think the POV is going to be the new kid or to yeah. here? I think the be okay. the new kid. Yeah. Okay, that would gotcha. be the safe bet because then it would be a redemption for McKinn to try again as this new ruthless man that he is. Wow. Look at your brain's work turning and. Yeah. And he's just going to laugh and like. And a week, I want. He's going to laugh I at all of us. Uh, can I, I, I do have a nitpick I did forget about. Sure. Yeah, go ahead. Storm has kind of become a big character. Who? Storm. Well, I feel like because of the plot. So, yeah, so Storm shows up when somebody needs to die, but that that's really kind of it, you know? It's a superpower. It's a, she is a part of the soft magic system, that there's this yeah. white wolf that's massive, that's like the size yeah. of a horse. Oh. And I'm just not—I'm not a huge um, animal companion person, but Gwen did a good job of developing the animal companionship with Storm. Mm-hmm. 
Corbin and Strowman. Like they had a, they had a relationship, and that's just kind of presumed and active going forward. There's like no separate time with them. Yeah. All right. I agree with you. I want more Storm, though, because I still am invested in one more. Uh, I do have a final nitpick that I did remember, and I almost oh. put it in earlier. It's uh, Corbin and his stupid wolf pelts. Now, I'm not saying the the idea is stupid, just the presentation of the idea, treating us like, oh, what's he going to do? What's this guy who's been thinking about wolf skins going to do with wolf skins? It's like, well, what else are you going to do with them? You're going to wear them. And it, it just reminded me of, like, uh, another series that's a sci-fi fantasy by Pierce Brown with oh, certain yeah, parts. Yeah. And I was just like, okay. All right. yeah. yeah. So that's all. Just a very minor nitpick that just, like, I just kind of rolled my eyes a little bit. I was like, all right, let's get to it. Let's get to it. No, I agree. That reminded me of that book, too. And they both come off corny in my eyes. <laughs> both yeah. of those things. But Yeah. All right. We did it, guys. <laughs> We hit it all. Um, yeah. And on to the next one. I I think you'll be impressed with books three and four or not. I hope there's more uh, nitpicks and we'll all just disagree. That would be fun too. So It's ruined, so I'm expecting like it to go really, really badly for the good guys. Well, the first one was Malice, and I loved how, well, okay, yeah, his dad died at the end. Never mind. But still, like, I loved the journey we went through with that one. It's still pretty good. Yeah. Yeah, ruin would um, kind of make you think that uh, things are going to get worse before they get better. Hold on now, though. Is it still ruin? What about the English version of that word? Is there an extra O in there? <laughs> ruin? Okay. Just making sure Eric gets the correct copies that he feels validated in his reading choices. Yeah. All right. So thank you guys for listening. Um, go to the Legendarium Discord. Come hang out with us. Uh, very positive place. Uh, all the negativity is in the DMs. That's where that, right? Oh, no, no, that doesn't happen either. Yeah, um, yeah we keep it PG friendly and don't worry. Anything else is, is yeah, like you said, in the DMs. You yeah. can DM us at any time. But um, just, I really like every, I like how diverse that community is and how much reading everyone is doing and different types of reading. And it's just interesting to hear everyone different different uh, opinions and thoughts on all these types of books. So it's really cool for me. Um, hey, thanks to Craig, the legendarium host uh, for letting us, letting him play in our sandbox or his sandbox. And uh, her, yeah, it's ours now. Sorry, Craig. Yeah. We don't share sand here. It's coarse. It's gritty. It's irritating. It's everywhere. <laughs> thanks to horizon brave uh, for setting this whole thing up. And the song by Jingle Punk, I think, is the person. Lactic Damages by Lactic Jingle Damage. Punks. There yeah. you go. Hopefully I nailed it. All right. For Erodandus and Soul and myself, Yeti Beats, we'll see you next time for Ruin. See ya. Bye, guys.